At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Uh, well, last Sunday, we actually uh, closed out our series called Assembly Required. And what we actually did within that series is we looked at the importance of gathering together as a church. The importance of gathering together as we're doing right now as the church of Christ. And we looked at some key elements that we need to have included as we gather together as the church of Christ. We first saw that we gather together to delight in God's word. We then saw that we gather together to confess sins and receive cleansing and joy. Then we learned that we gather together to sing as we did this morning. And I am so blessed by Pastor Brendan, the worship team. It's so incredible to hear each other's voices and to sing with one another. Uh, and then finally, last week, we learned that we gather to testify to God's deliverance. And we talked about the importance of being in the church with the body of Christ and how vitally important it is that we can testify that Jesus Christ has given me a new life. And it was beautiful to hear from so many of you last week when I said, can you testify that you have a new life in Jesus Christ? And you guys responded with a resounding amen. And it was so awesome. And I know that we testify for the glory of God and that people would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we exist to praise God and worship him. And what we're doing right now is what we were literally created to do from the beginning of time. And so we've been diving into Psalms. We've been looking at the importance of the church. And today we're starting a new series called Built for More. And we're still going to be in the Psalms. We're still going to be diving into the Psalms. And what we're looking at within this series is we're going to learn that we are built for more than just this life on earth. We are built for more than just this life on earth and what it has to offer for us. We are built for eternity. We are built to worship and praise God. And as a church, we were built for so much more than just sitting together on Sunday morning and praising and worship with one another. We were built to be in spiritual family. Now, when I talk about spiritual family, it comes to this realization. What spiritual family is, is that it's not just coming together to see a common event. It's not like we're going to a sporting event or a concert each and every week. We are coming together as the family of Christ to participate in worship and praise and communion with each other. You see, when we start to realize that church is so much more than just a, a, a gathering together of a common event, that it is so much more that it is actually a family. You know, throughout the scripture, we see the words brothers and sisters used all over the place. And that language is meant to show that the spiritual family is the deepest relationship that you can have on this planet, even deeper than your biological relationships. And my hope and my prayer in these next three weeks is we see the vital importance of spiritual family. And today we're going to be looking at one of the components of spiritual family, and we're going to be talking more uh, about our life groups and how, how we do spiritual family together. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalms chapter 133. 
Psalm 133, and uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, make sure you pull out your cell phones. Psalm 133, I know you already downloaded that Woodside app, so you guys have all the notes, which is great. Uh, Psalm 133, we'll also have it on the screen for you as well, and we're going to be looking at this idea of unity. Now, when we think about unity, we think uh, it being something that we deeply desire. We, we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, I think. I think that's one of the reasons why people become sports fans. It's because if you're, if you're a sports fan of a certain team, then, uh, then you can identify with a lot of other people and you're part of something bigger than yourself. Take, for instance, being a fan of the Detroit Lions. Now, how many of you are fans of the Detroit Lions? All right, some of you just won't admit it, right? Because you live in Detroit, you, you by definition have to be a Detroit Lions fan. It's just your team. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, you think about being a Detroit Lions fan. You think about this idea of being uh, of something bigger than yourself. You know, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, you'll see people wearing around the gear, right? With like the Lions logo on it. And you like interesting colors like a silver and Honolulu blue. Uh, only Detroit Lions fans know what Honolulu blue actually is. And you think about it when people gather together at, at, at Ford Field and, and 65,000 plus people are cheering on the Lions. And when they win, it is the greatest of celebration. And then when they lose, we can commiserate with one another and we can complain to one another and we can share our hurt and suffering with one another. It is true that if you are a Christian and you are a Detroit Lions fan, you're probably a better Christian than one that is not because you're used to suffering constantly every single Sunday. But if we think about this idea of being a sports fan, I mean, I've gone to different states and I was wearing my Lions gear and had people yell, go Lions, from across the plaza. I'm like, well, what are you even doing? Like down the street, someone yells, yeah, go Lions. Be like, I've never seen you before in my life. You unite around this, this common theme that you're the fan of the same sports team. And whatever sports you think about, you have this camaraderie. You can start up conversations with people you don't even know. And that's an interesting and a fun community. But I have to tell you, if we think about how enjoyable it is to win a football game and to talk about the victories that we have or to commiserate with one another and have common suffering, we think about the body of Christ and it's so much greater. It's infinitely more valuable. We're going to look at Psalm 133 today and we're going to see that spiritual unity in the body of Christ and spiritual family is to be celebrated. That we are to celebrate spiritual family. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 133 and then I want to tell you a little bit more about the background of it and talk a little bit more verse by verse through it. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. 
Now, this is interesting imagery, and, and as we read this, we think of this idea of oil flowing down on somebody's head and dripping into their beard and soaking their collar, and some of you guys are like, that's going to be really difficult to get out. I'm going to need some OxyClean to get that one out, and you think this maybe isn't the most pleasant experience, and you, you read and you say, like, the dew of Hermon. Okay, who is Hermon, and, and, and what is Zion, and what are these images? Well, we're going to kind of look at this, and what I want to tell you is this whole text text is about unity in the family of God and that is to celebrate the gift of spiritual unity. So as we look at this text, the first word that we see is the word behold. Now it's important to know that this word in Hebrew is like an exclamation point. It is pay attention to this, look at this, behold. So now that we've all got attention, we have to look and say, okay, what is the author saying here? Well, the author, who is David, says how good and pleasant it is when brothers draw together in unity. Now, you have to understand the background of what type of psalm this actually is. This is called a psalm of ascent. And the psalms of ascent are are Psalms 120 through 134. And what they actually were, were they were songs that the people of Israel sang as they went on a pilgrimage from wherever they lived in the world or wherever they lived in the regions of Israel up to Jerusalem. They have to understand that Jerusalem is actually built on top of a large Hill, And if you look today, the Dome of the Rock is there. And you can actually see this, this large gold dome that's there. And it's on top of this hill. And that used to be where the temple was. And so what would happen is, is three times a year, the people of Israel would leave their homeland. They'd make a pilgrimage, which would take them many days. And they would all travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, the Feast of Booths. And they came together to worship and to celebrate their common ancestry, their commonality as the family of God and also to celebrate their redemption. And so as they were walking up closer and closer to the temple, they would start to sing these songs. If you look at the songs, they're very short and memorable. Most of them are. And they talk about God and his steadfast love and who he is. And and Psalm 133 is actually one of the closing of these as it goes through 134. And what would happen is, is that a father would lead their family in singing of these psalms. And you would be on your pilgrimage, and as you started to get higher and higher on this mountain, as you got up to Jerusalem, this hill, you would start to hear other families over here, and other families over here. And you'd start to hear all of the voices of the people of God going up as one to worship God. And it was this beautiful picture of unity. And so David says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Well, it's interesting because he he defines this unity as two things. It's good and it's pleasant. Now, what are the differences between those two things? Well, if we look at that word good, good means that which is right. What it's really saying is that it is right in the eyes of God. It is right for the people of God. It is is what God desires. It is good for brothers to dwell in unity. It also says the word pleasant. Now we think about pleasant. It's something we desire. It's something we want. It's something uh, that we uh, we deeply uh, want to go after. And so we think about this idea of brothers and sisters in unity. And it is not only what we're called to do. It is what we get to do. We get to dwell together in unity. 
And as we look at Psalm 133, we're going to see three different things that David actually points out. And the first is, as, as we talk about unity, is that we come into the family. Verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now it's important to see this word, because what he's talking about is the people of God. Brothers and sisters. That's the idea. This is to those who are of the family and of the people of God. This isn't talking about family relationships, as we'll see later, because it's got a lot of priestly language and holy language, and that's the whole idea of the anointing oil. Uh, but what it's talking about is the family of God coming together in common worship. So in order to have common worship and for it to be good and pleasant for you in the family of God, you have to first be of the people of God. And in order to be of the people of God, you surrender your life to God. You see, it is great when we have those brothers and sisters in Christ who have surrendered their lives to God and given their whole lives over to him when we gather together and we, we get to commune with one another and be with one another and worship with one another. It's incredible. But you have to be of the family of God. If you're not of the family of God, then you cannot have the same spiritual unity as those who've surrendered their lives to Christ. Because if you are not of God, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, then you have a different God than the people who have surrendered their lives to Christ. Your God is yourself. And in order to truly live for Christ, in order to have unity with the community of Christ, you have to surrender your life to Jesus and be part of the family of God. So the first call is that we come into the family. Now it's important for Christians that we see here that it is actually a blessing for those who dwell with the family. It, it, this blessing of unity is one who actually are present and involved in the family and the body of Christ. Those who were blessed with this unity in this song of ascent, they were talking about walking up this hill as they went into the temple in order to celebrate and worship and praise with one another. You don't get the blessing of the unity of all of these voices singing and proclaiming the Lord if you're not in the church. You don't get the blessing of spiritual community with one another if you're not involved in life group. You don't get the blessing of being able to serve with one another if you don't serve together. You see, we have to be those who dwell and we are in communion and worship with one another to truly receive these blessings. And this, this unity is actually a gift from God. And so at Woodside, we focus on three things primarily. First is we desire for all of our members, and we ask that all of our members, and, and for all those who want to call this a church home and be a family with us, to come here on Sunday mornings to gather together in the larger gathering for worship. We actually see this in Acts chapter 2. They used to gather together outside of the temple and they would worship as, as 3,000 people in larger gatherings, but then they would also meet in homes and they would encourage each other day by day. And so the second thing that we ask people to focus on and to dedicate yourself to here are what we call life groups. Life groups, these are groups that meet in homes throughout the week. Many of these groups uh, meet on a weekly basis. And the whole idea is to build relationship with each other and build relationship with the Lord together, to pray for one another, to share food with one another, to, to share uh, the greatest celebrations of life with one another, and also be with each other in your greatest sufferings. The whole idea of life groups is for us to be family outside of this gathering on Sunday morning. 
Many of you who are part of life groups right now can identify that maybe during this time of these last few months that your life group has really been the thing that's really helped keep you afloat. The gathering of the saints and the people that you can call and be with and, and love on one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So first, we come as the family. Second, we come with harmony. Look at 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So this, this blessing, this good and pleasant thing is when brothers are in unity. And what we're looking at here is that the people of God, the Jewish people, they had a covenant of unity with God because they were God's chosen people. Now, it's very interesting because you may ask the question, why were the Israelites God's chosen people? Is it because they were just that great? Is it because they were such a powerful nation? Well, no. Exodus 19 actually says it's not because of any of those reasons. It's just because God wanted to show his favor and grace upon the nation of Israel over any other nation in the entire world. Why? Because he did. He's God. He can. <laughs> and he is love. And so this whole idea, because of his love, he chose the nation of Israel. Yet if we think about this idea, he, he actually calls them in Exodus 6, 7 to a covenant. He says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God is the deliverer of the Israelites. And that's one of the things they celebrated during these feasts as they went up to the temple, the, the Passover. You know, this covenant of, of community and unity in Christ is the same for our churches today. We are the people of God. That's an incredible thing to think about. If you are in Christ, you are part of the family of God. We talk over and over that every person who's ever been born is a sinner by their very nature and by choice. Yet if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you go from being identified as a sinner who is apart from God to a son or daughter who is intimate and in relationship with God. Isn't that beautiful? Just think about that. I think sometimes it's so easy to forget that we have been graced with salvation by God. He gave us something that we don't deserve. You know, look at this. Jesus makes himself a new people, and that is the church in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and pre preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What this is talking about was there was great division between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. The Jewish people saw themselves as the people of God, which they were, and the Gentiles were seen as dogs and worse than that. Yet when Jesus came, he died on a cross, and he made one new nation, one new people. 
That is why the church comes together and we are not defined by our socioeconomic background. We are not defined by our ethnicity and we are not defined by our religious background. We're not defined by any of these things at all. We first and foremost are identified as a man or woman of God. That is who we are. As we introduce ourselves to people, who are you? I am a man of God. That, that's your identity, right? Or I am a woman of God. As we think through the, the way that, that we live our lives, the first thing we have to realize is that before anything and everything else, we are first and foremost a man or woman of God. And when we are a man or woman of God, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you live in a way that is different from the rest of the world. And you base your entire life upon the Bible. Your entire life, our entire lives, if you proclaim Christ, is based on this book here. That's what we give ourselves to. We give ourselves and we submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus through God's word, which is living and active. And it shows us areas that we can become more and more like Jesus and more and more like his people. And so sometimes the way we, we live our lives, the, the time parameters we put around our schedules, the way we spend our money, the relationships that we invest into are not going to make sense to anyone else at all. And I think it's vitally important in the season that we are going into to also mention that even our vote is determined upon the word of God. We can cannot go against the word of God. We are first and foremost somebody who submits ourselves to the word of God, no matter what our opinion is, no matter what our feelings are. It's about what the word of God says and not what I feel. And that's so vitally important, brothers and sisters. There's going to be stuff in here that we disagree with. There's going to be stuff in here that is hard to stomach. But when we proclaim ourselves as the people of God. We say that we will not go against his word and we will live our lives based upon this. And the, and the beautiful thing of this, David talks time and time again about how amazing and incredible and delightful it actually is to live out in the word of God, in the community of God. But if we're not doing that, we are not living out God's greatest life for us. Did you know that your best life now is lived in community with the followers of Jesus Christ and submission to the word of God because that's what you were made to do. That's what we were made to do. Now, I think it's important to mention that this is not a unity at all costs. I think in many of our churches today, we see people saying we need to be unified. We need to be unified. Yet they've taken out the truth of Jesus Christ in their churches. They no longer live based upon the word of God. We have to understand that this unity is around truth. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 7 says this. Uh, the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
First, we see in this text, we see an attitude that is addressed. We see an attitude of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. This is something that we have to continually ask ourselves. Do I treat my brother or sister with this type of attitude? Am I humble? Am I teachable? Am I gentle? Am I somebody who is patient? Do I bear with people? I think of the idea of slogging along on a walk. You know, the image just came to my mind is uh, my son Dominic, he's three years old, and we were just uh, walking together the other day. And and I realized that as I was holding his hand, I was starting to really speed up in my walking. I was kind of dragging him behind me. Uh, But I realized, and and I really wanted to go faster. Like I wanted to go faster. I wanted to get to the place we're at. Like I'm like, let's go. But I realized that if I did that, I'm just going to drag him along. He's going to kind of bounce. And so what... (laughs) What I ended up doing was I ended up slowing my pace in order to bear with him and love him. Some people are not going to be where you are at spiritually. But those who are mature spiritually come alongside those who are behind and help teach them and guide them and show them. It's so vitally important that our conversations with one another, if we don't have unity around something, are based upon the word of God and they are based upon brotherly love and humility and gentleness. And like I said before, unity is around truth. And so we have to look at the word and see what the word says and talk that through with our brothers and sisters. But may we always love our brothers and sisters enough to go ahead and have a conversation with them person in person instead of on social media or or, or instead of behind their back or in whatever way, but that we would have Matthew 18 principles that if we have things that we need to discuss with somebody, we go to them and talk it over with them and that we would have our brother. The whole idea, of talking through things is to help restore or reconcile our brother and sister. It's not necessarily about being right. Now, I'll affirm that there are right and true things in Scripture that must be stayed upon and never back down from them, but may we love our brothers and sisters in this at all times. We are unified in this attitude, but we are unified around truth. Look at verse four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what we unite around. Can we say that? Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the proclamation of Christians from out the centuries is that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the proclamation that Christians have died for for hundreds of years, that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus Christ is Lord, not Allah. Jesus Christ is Lord, not some Hindu God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Second thing, Jesus Christ, there is one God and Father of all. There is only one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is only one faith. That is faith plus nothing equals Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Our relationship with Christ is only one of faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. These are the pillars that we unify around, that we know that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the only way to relationship with the Father. That is how we have community and unity with those proclamations. One baptism, uh, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
realizing that God is creator, God is sovereign, God is in control of all things, including our lives. And that's how we have unity with one another. Because we, we come from all sorts of different backgrounds, but our backgrounds don't define us. Relationship with Christ defines us, and the word of God is what directs us. So that's how we keep this unity in harmony with one another. It's a beautiful gift that we've been given from God. And we're given this unity for a purpose. John 17, uh, Jesus actually says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as I and you are one, and you and me, and I and you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, this is why, to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's so much in this prayer and there's so much in this statement. I mean, he says he shares his glory. He has given them the glory that you gave me. He prays that we would be one even as the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. That's some serious unity right now. But then he says, this is the reasoning why. This complete unity is to let the world know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. As we live in unity and love with one another, we proclaim to the world outside that there's something different happening here. And then we say, what's different is that Jesus is our Lord. And it's not based upon our emotions or our opinions that we live our lives. It's based upon the fact that he is Lord and we give glory and praise to his name. And that many would hear and that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that it is only God who could make people from all these different backgrounds and all these uh, different opinions come together in harmony because it is only through the scripture that that can happen. You know, as we look back at the, uh, at the church, we, we see in, in the New Testament that they were people who gathered together very, very frequently. They were people who gathered together on daily basis. They would gather together in largest worship services, and then they would gather together as they went about their lives, and they would eat together, and they'd be in homes with one another. And that's where, we, where our life groups come into the picture. The idea of the life group is that we would come together in relationship, and then we would invest into that relationship with one another that we would be able to lift one another up, pray for one another, care for one another, celebrate with one another, suffer with one another. And that can happen. It truly can. But it takes, like any relationship, commitment and work. It takes commitment and work. If we don't invest into relationships, relationships do not naturally go closer. They divide. If you're somebody who gets involved in a life group and you commit to be there every single week, if you are healthy or you are in town and you make a commitment to that, you're going to see something that you've never seen before. If you're a leader and you commit to every single week or, or every other week, making sure that you have group and you guys are unified together and with one another, there will be something that happens there in the family of Christ that is different than any other relationship or group that you could ever be part of. 
But being real with you, if you're somebody who only goes once every five weeks, if you're somebody who doesn't commit to these things, if you're somebody who doesn't want to get in relationship with those people outside of the group, and it's just to say, yes, I'm part of a life group at Woodside, then it's not going to be spiritual family. It takes investment. It takes sacrifice. It takes love for one another. Yet we are, uh, we are so blessed by unity in the body of Christ. It takes work, but it has great reward to it. The third thing is that we come to be refreshed. Psalm 133, 2. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this whole image that we're seeing here, Aaron is actually the, the brother of Moses and he was the first priest. And what this is talking about is that he, uh, in Exodus, was anointed with this oil. And this oil was actually infused with spices and probably lavender and some, some really nice smells. And it, it, what this anointing was, it was setting him apart as the priest. And so what would happen is, is that the Israelites would go and they would sacrifice animals for their sins. That was the whole idea of the Old Testament. That's how you uh, confessed your sins. And that's how you paid for your sins because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hence why Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood for us to be forgiven of our sins. There had to be a sacrifice. Yet what would happen is after these sacrifices happened, which smelled horrific, they would actually, uh, they would actually light incense and they, uh, and they would do the ceremonies where they would anoint with oil. And, and what would happen is it would remind the people that the love of God and the grace of God can cover the stench of their sin. It's this beautiful image of sweet fragrances. It was, also, it was also a recipe that was not to be used for anything else except for this anointing. And this anointing was setting someone apart as holy. The second image that we see is he talks about the dew of Mount Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the, the largest mountain in Israel. It can be seen 120 miles away from Jerusalem. And what would happen is it has about uh, 60 or so inches of precipitation a year. Two-thirds of the year, there's still snow on top of it. It's a big mountain. And what it's talking about is this idea of the refreshment of the mountain water. And it says that this is like that refreshment, that dew on another mount, which is Zion, which is the holy mountain. And so what it sees is these blessings are coming down from God. They're coming down, down, down. And we continually see this idea to show that the blessing of unity is from God and God himself. And, and what we see here is that David tells us to celebrate unity in the body of Christ. We build this unity through gathering together for worship on Sunday morning through gathering together for life groups. I want to challenge you, if you're not involved in a life group, get signed up. Download the app, sign up for our life groups. We're launching them again September 20th. We want to get you involved in those life groups. If you're somebody who did life groups last year and you weren't committed to it, I want to challenge you to commit to be there every single time they gather. See if it doesn't change the way you do life with one another and the way you see the church. If you're somebody who doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're going after other things of this world to refresh you or to fulfill you, nothing's going to fulfill you. It is only Christ 
It is only the body of Christ that will truly fulfill you. And it is only unity in the bond of Christ that will be the greatest, most pleasurable and pleasant and good experience in this life. You know, in closing, for for me, um, life groups really uh, touch a really personal place. I grew up in church. I grew up hearing all the different sermons. I grew up going to youth group. I grew up in uh, believing and, and hearing mentally all of the things about Jesus. I was like, yeah, Jesus exists, yeah, all this stuff. And I remember that I kind of was moral all through high school. And, and then when I got out of high school, I started getting into bodybuilding and I started getting into uh, the nightclub scene. I became a bouncer at nightclubs. And I just remember my life. I just dove into partying and I turned away from everything I learned. And I realized I'd never made Jesus the Lord of my life. Well, where life group comes into that is that my parents were involved in a life group. And within that life group, there were five couples. And all of their children had been raised in the church and were running away from the Lord. And they gathered together each week and they prayed for us. For two straight years, they prayed for us. And by the grace of God, Four out of those five families' children repented of their sins, turned to Jesus Christ, and are serving God in ministry today. Isn't that incredible? Praise God for his testimony. I'm just telling you, life groups can be one of the greatest blessings in this life for you. And unity in the body of Christ is something that we can celebrate. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.